I'm so excited to see so many of you here today. Let me just begin in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that uh, you have called us all together, God, even from different churches, God. It's not about churches. It's about one body, one body of Christ all over the world. So we thank you that we are here with our family, the family of God. We pray that you would just inhabit our our midst today and and, uh, speak to us through your word and draw all of us closer to the cross to let us know the divine exchange that was laid before us to receive by grace. We thank you to bless our service this day. Continue to prepare our hearts as we come into union with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you can stand for our first song, and you can sit if you want, but if you can stand, our first song is one of my favorites, The Old Rugged Cross. It's number 327 in the hymnal, so it's also on the screen behind me, The Old Rugged Cross.
Amen. You may be seated. We're here today to honor the holiest day on the Christian calendar, Good Friday, when the ultimate sacrifice was given to atone for our sins, to forgive us and to open up eternity to us with our Lord. The term Good Friday has been often been a confusing term. How could the horrific treatment of Jesus Christ be described as good? We must understand that in this sense, good means morally pure, beneficial to God's perfect plan. There is no greater good ever accomplished on our behalf than what culminated on the cross at Calvary. This is the reason why we honor and remember the events of this day. And while collectively, I would imagine, collectively, we've been to hundreds, if not thousands, of different Good Friday services. But I'm going to tell you that today will be different. But it's also incredibly powerful. I want to begin in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. God is speaking to the prophet, Isaiah. And he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I preface this teaching today with the fact that God's thoughts are vastly higher than our thoughts and our ways. Would you agree with that? Because there's a lot of people that don't agree with that. But we believe that. We believe God at His Word. And while we can understand a great deal of God's plan for our lives by the Holy Spirit, there are also some things that are so deep, so intricate in detail, so amazing and profound, that we just can't wrap our heads around the immensity and the reasoning behind some of the things that happen. That is where faith comes in. Faith allows us to trust God and not lean on our own understanding, which is limited. Faith is the key that opens the door to the heart of God. And it's by faith that God's people have always believed God at His Word and received His love and salvation by faith. Therefore, once sin entered humanity through Adam and Eve, and the divine plan was set into motion to bring Jesus one day as the solution, God knew that this would be very hard for people to understand with our primitive and human minds. So out of God's infinite love for us, God began to describe the Messiah and the ultimate sacrifice that He would bear at Calvary. Because God's thoughts are so vastly higher than ours, God knew it was going to take a while for us to get it. And so God started to tell the story. For 4,000 years, He began explaining and describing Jesus in countless ways and analogies and experiences and symbols and prophecies and clear statements of the truth. And because God so loved all of us, He didn't want anyone to miss it. When Christ came to this earth to die for our sins, it was God's greatest desire 
that all would recognize Him as the Lord who had come to redeem mankind once and for all. And in order to prevent all confusion, to make sure everyone could recognize Him, God spoke throughout all of history in incredibly precise language with exact descriptions of events to come with word-for-word statements, including the smallest of details that would occur as part of this ultimate sacrifice. Now, I'm not talking about the descriptions in the Gospels or even in the New Testament. You see, what will make today's service different than any other Good Friday service is that our honoring and our remembering of the events leading up to and culminating into the burial in the tomb will be entirely taken, 100%, from the Hebrew Bible, our Old Testament. Imagine that, going to Good Friday service and the Gospels are not even mentioned. Can the Good, can a Good Friday event be accurately and fully told without citing the Gospel or any other New Testament passage? Absolutely you will be amazed at what has been there all along for everyone to recognize the Messiah and truly receive Him. I do this to show God's great love for us as He described in great detail exactly what would happen so that all might know and that all might receive this gift of life. That was God's intention from the very beginning. Now, as you know, there were many who missed it. And even today, there are billions more who still choose not to see Christ as the Messiah. But let today's message be clear in stating that God has been relentless throughout time in making His message and His love be as clear as possible so that no one is without excuse. And so God did not waste any time in laying out the sacrifice that would be made for redemption. We see His ultimate plan at the very beginning. Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. When God described the woman's seed, it's a clear reference to Jesus. For Satan will seemingly trip him up and bruise his heel when Jesus dies at Calvary. But ultimately, Christ will bruise and crush the head of the enemy when he rises from the dead, declaring an eternal victory over sin, death, hell, and the grave. And immediately God set the law in place to show that Christ would have to die, that innocent blood would have to be shed to cover our sins to redeem us. We see this in the garden as well. Genesis 3.21 Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. You see, sin would require a sacrifice. These tunics of skin came from innocent animals that had to be killed because of Adam and Eve's choice to sin. God would use this sacrifice as a covering for His people. 
This foreshadows the fact that the innocent animals would have to be killed in sacrifice to atone for our sins. And the blood of the Lamb would cover us so that we could come into right standing with God. Through Moses, God gave us the law to show that no one was able to follow it perfectly, thus qualifying every single one of us as sinners. We are all sinners, as the Bible declares. And we are all in need of atonement or the shed blood of our perfect Passover lamb. God clearly foretold that the Passover lamb would be the Messiah, Yeshua, who would come one day as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world once and for all. And we know that the Old Testament is filled with prophecies about the birth of Christ. We've heard these before. Isaiah 7.14 Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. Isaiah prophesied this hundreds of years before Jesus walked the earth. That He would be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. God loved His people so much He didn't want there to be any mistake that when He sent the answer that this was the Messiah. Micah 5.2 But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to Me the One to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old and from everlasting. We're told He would be born in Bethlehem. You know these prophecies and from the line of Judah, and be a ruler. And noting that is he is from everlasting to eternal, thus which makes him God. And there are further prophecies detailing the, what the Messiah's ministry would entail while he walked on the earth. You know this, when Jesus began his ministry, he walked into a synagogue and grabbed the scroll of Isaiah and began to read this. Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. This is clearly what Christ did. Preaching the good news of salvation to those who are poor in spirit. Healing the brokenhearted, which He still does today setting people free from the bondage of sin and sickness, opening to those, opening life to those who are bound in condemnation. And while hundreds of other prophecies and types of Christ are recorded throughout the Hebrew Bible, the stunning details of Holy Week, of the crucifixion, are some of the most incredible statements that prove that no other than Christ could have been the Messiah. His sacrifice was foreordained. So as we, before we get into this part, I share a song with you that we would just reflect. You can stay seated. If you want to sing, you can. If you want to reflect. But this song is When I Survey the Wondrous Cross.
let us now allow God to relate the events of time to us in the same way that He shared it hundreds of years before it ever happened. Let us see for ourselves how detailed God was in describing exactly what transpired in the ultimate sacrifice. Psalm 41, verse 9. Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. The Messiah would be betrayed by one of his own familiar friends who ate bread with him at the Passover meal of the Last Supper. Judas willingly lifted up his heel against Jesus. But it wasn't just Judas who deserted the Messiah in his greatest tribulation on this earth. Zechariah 13.7 Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Then I will turn my hand against the little ones. With all that was prophesied to give His people full warning, still the people came and put Him to death. And the friends that Jesus surrounded Himself with deserted Him. As the Good Shepherd was struck, His sheep were scattered, deserting Christ in His hour of need. As all ran away, some hid out of sight, some went cowering to their own homes, some even betrayed knowing Him personally. And the details of Judas's betrayal were laid bare with how it would unfold for precisely how much the bribe would be. Zechariah 11, verse 12. Then I said to them, If it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. As we all know, Jesus, I'm sorry, Judas, Judas was paid 30 pieces of silver for his wages of betraying the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though this was prophesied hundreds of years before it actually happened, neither the teachers of the law who should have known the Scriptures or Judas prevented this from coming to pass exactly as it was foretold. But it didn't stop at the amount. Take note of the details that followed. Zechariah 11.13 And the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter. That princely price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw it into the house of the Lord for the potter. Hmm. What does that mean? This princely price that was set on the head of our Prince of Peace was given back as Judas began to feel guilty, knowing full well that he had betrayed the Lord. And because this money was blood money, the chief priests who worked in the house of the Lord could not put it into their treasury. So they took the 30 pieces of silver and bought a field called the potter's field, a place where they would bury strangers. And once Jesus was in the custody of the chief priests and the rulers of the temple, He was tortured mercilessly. Yet this too was all foretold. Isaiah 50, verse 6, I gave my back to those who struck me, and my cheeks 
to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. You see, not only would it be prophesied that Christ would be struck upon the head and beat and spit upon, but it clearly shows that Christ would submit to it freely when He said, I gave my back. It shows that He willingly sacrificed Himself. Why is this important? Because if Jesus would have resisted, it would have meant that His life would have had to have been taken from Him. Then it would no longer be a sacrifice. It would be murder. But because Jesus willingly laid down His life, then He would have the authority to pick it back up again because He's the one that laid it down. Therefore, it was known throughout Scriptures that Christ would not resist to this brutal torture. And yet, it would be more than just excruciating physical pain that Christ would endure. Psalm 69, verse 19. You know my reproach, my shame, and my dishonor. My adversaries are all before you. Reproach has broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. Psalm 22, verse 6, But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. We really can't understand the magnitude of these statements. Not only did Jesus, He knew ahead of time that He would be tortured and mocked and killed, but He also knew that it would be done in full public view. This was not done in the courts away from him. It was done in, in a spot where the, everyone in public could see him in an attempt to dishonor him, to humiliate him, and that no one would comfort him. What amazing love this is. That he loved us enough to die a publicly humiliating death for all to see. And the events continued to be foretold. Psalm 22, verse 18. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. While Jesus hung on the cross, the Roman soldiers cast lots for His clothing, treating Him as if He was already dead, dividing up His belongings. This is exactly what happened. And yet, through it all, Jesus never imagined this. Never complained once. I've said it before that the greatest miracle of all time was Jesus rising from the dead. But I believe the second greatest miracle of all time is that He never complained. Never fought back. Never opened His mouth. Isaiah 53, verse 7. He was oppressed and He was afflicted. Yet He opened not His mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. From the beginning of the unfair trial of false accusations against Jesus all the way to the cross, people mocked him and dared him to come down off the cross to prove that he was God. And yet Jesus remained silent. He did not open his mouth. 
Isaiah 53, verse 5. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed. Clearly God spoke through the prophets that the Messiah would be take upon our sins upon Himself. That He would bear our transgressions. That He would be beaten for our iniquities. And the consequences of our choice to sin against God would be placed upon Him. That He would take our punishment. As each whip tore into His flesh and laid stripes across the Messiah's back, causing Him to bleed profusely, it was by these stripes that we are healed. And each painful moment on the cross played out just as it was prophesied hundreds of years before. Psalm 69, verse 3, I am weary with my crying. My throat is dry. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. As Jesus continued to wait on God for His life to be completely expired, Jesus cried out that He thirsted. Mocking His request, we know how the attending soldiers responded. Psalm 69, verse 21. They also gave me gall for my food. And for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. Putting sour wine on a branch of hyssop, they soaked a sponge with this vile drink and put it to his mouth. The torture would not stop. Psalm 22, verse 16. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Unbelievably, God speaks through David thousands of years earlier to tell how the Messiah would have His hands and His feet pierced as wicked people surrounded Him like dogs. Zechariah 12.10 And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on Me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for Him as one who mourns for His only Son and grieve for Him as one grieves for a firstborn. It was all foretold that He would be pierced, as it were, with a spear into His side as blood and water came gushing out, noting that the very One was pierced would be God's only Son. The precise details are mind-boggling, and yet the public mocking would continue. Psalm 22, verses 7 and 8. All those who see me ridicule me. They shout out the lip. They shake the head saying, He trusted the Lord. Let Him rescue Him. Let Him deliver Him since He delights in Him. At the foot of the cross, the people would now turn wickedly blasphemous using the words of Scripture against Jesus to tempt God to rescue Him because He delights in Him. 
These were actual words spoken by people at the foot of the cross. Mocking Christ right up to the point of His death. And yet Jesus continued out of His perfect love for us. Unwavering in His mission to be the eternal sacrifice for all who sinned against Him, including the very people who were killing Him. Isaiah 53, verse 12. And He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Clearly, Jesus would be the intercessor for sinners. He would be the one to intercede on our behalf to prevent, to present our case before God with His own life as a ransom payment for our sins. It's all here. Right in the Hebrew Bible including the lonely cry of the Messiah in intense time of suffering. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have You forsaken me? Why are You so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? These were the words of Christ as He hung on the cross at Calvary knowing that even God had blocked out the sun as the land sat in darkness for three hours. Some people describe it as a solar eclipse. A solar eclipse takes seven minutes. The sky was blocked out for three hours. Even though Jesus' human side quoted these words as prophecy, His divinity knew why God had to forsake Him, why God had to let Him die on the cross. Thus Jesus died in the darkness, being forsaken by all. The one who lived a perfect life so that he could die for all was forsaken by everyone. This is truly the Messiah, demonstrating the depth of love so powerful that no one can understand it completely on this side of heaven. Isaiah 52, verse 14. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of man. Throughout this ordeal, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the proclaimed Messiah, was beaten beyond recognition. The torture, the whipping, the punching, the pushing, the piercing made him unrecognizable. His visage means his face. With reference to the form or the proportions of his features, you couldn't even tell it was a face. The wounds to his face were marred more than any other man. And this is the Son of God who came to save us. Our sins put Him on the cross. It wasn't the Romans. wasn't the Jews. It wasn't some. It was our sins that put Him on the cross. Our iniquities allowed Him to be tortured mercilessly. And yet, He willingly pushed through this horror to complete the work that God had entrusted to Him. And when the Messiah was to die it was prophetically declared that not one of his bones would be broken. Exodus chapter 12, verse 46. 
In one house it shall be eaten. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. Jesus Christ was the Passover lamb. The perfect Passover lamb. And to fulfill this role as our sacrifice, it was essential that none of His bones were broken. Psalm 22, verse 17. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. Again and again, throughout Scripture, what seemed to be the most minutest of details were fully described hundreds and sometimes over a thousand years before they actually unfolded. Including in the events surrounding His death as it affected those around Him. It's unbelievable the detail that God went to make sure that no one missed Him. Isaiah 53, verse 9. And they made His grave with the wicked, but with the rich at His death. Do you understand this statement? He was with the wicked when He died on the cross with a criminal on either side of Him. Their wickedness was deserving of death, but Jesus was innocent. And then it stated that he was with the rich at his death. When Jesus died, his body was taken down from the cross and given to Joseph of Arimathea, who laid Jesus' body wrapped in linen in his own tomb that he was saving for himself. It was surrounded by a beautiful garden. It was a brand new tomb in which no one had ever laid. Joseph was a rich man who gave up his tomb for the slain Messiah, just as it was prophesied. And the biggest question of why this all had to happen is answered through the prophet Isaiah, including the promise that he would rise again. Isaiah 53.10 Yet it pleased the Lord, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. This sacrifice, as painful and as unfair as it was, was pleasing to the Lord, which means that it satisfied God's wrath against sin. Jesus, the Lamb of God, would be an offering for sin, just as it is stated. But then God goes one step further in saying that when He sees His seed as this offering, which means He has to die, that God will prolong His days. This is a clear statement to the fact that if God will prolong His days after He was given as a sacrifice, then clearly God would raise Him from the dead. What an incredible promise. What an amazing offering for us. Isaiah 53.11 He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. God will see 
the labor of His soul. He will look upon this sacrifice for our sins, this perfect Passover lamb, and it will satisfy God's requirement forever. That same requirement that was first set into motion in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned. An innocent animal had to be slain. As Jesus now, the perfect Lamb of God was, and the covering for our sins were not tunics of skin, but the shed blood of Jesus. Truly, by Christ's death on the cross, God's righteous servant justified many, as He has all of us here, if we put our faith into Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord. He bore our sins and our iniquities. This is why Good Friday is truly called good. This is our Savior, our Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You see, the word Christ is not His name. That means Messiah. He fulfilled all of these price, all of these prophecies. This is perfect love. And it's a love that is available to everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, who repents and boldly comes to the throne of God to be forgiven, to be redeemed, and to be welcomed into paradise eternally with our God. This is God's message to the world laid out in perfection. In the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before it came to pass and has been recorded in the Gospels and the New Testament. It is the Lord's plan of perfect love for anyone to read, for all to receive if we dare to take Him at His Word. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your perfect plan. We thank You that Your love for us was so great that You've been describing Jesus since the beginning of time. That You set this plan into motion. Lord God, and those of us who see that we've messed up, that we've sinned, that we've fallen short, we know that that grace is still available at the cross. For You died for our sins. Lord God, as we ask to reveal Yourself to us in a, in a greater way, if there is any of us here today that know that we've missed the mark, that know that we've wandered or backslidden or whatever it may be, we know it's just coming to You right now to receive the gift of life. Jesus Christ, our Passover Lamb, our sacrifice, died so that we could have eternal life. Lord God, we repent of our sins. We confess them to You. We acknowledge You as our Savior. We ask You to come in our hearts to give us that new life that You would live through us. We thank You for this time of the day growing closer to the cross. May You continue to draw us near to You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I ask You to stand with me now for our final song. The words are behind me. It's Number 302 in the hymnals, the song is Lamb of God. Please join us.
Jesus Christ, we identify with your gift today. We identify with you. Reveal yourself to each one of us that we may know the fellowship of your sufferings, that we would be conformed to your death. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that makes it alive to us. Draw our hearts close to you and to one another as we approach this Sunday. May you bless us and keep us close to your heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be blessed. Have a fantastic day and weekend. We'll see you Sunday, 10 o'clock Bible study, 11 o'clock for our service. God bless.